Hello, and welcome to another episode of Buzz and Biz, the Success Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Markey. Today, we have John Murdoch joining us. Thank you for joining, John. And without further ado, let's get started. Can you start us off with an intro and background, please? Sure. Hey, thanks, Steve. I really appreciate this, this opportunity here. Um, love to uh, conclude my week with something like this. Seriously, it's, uh, it's good to participate where I can in the community, for sure. Um, I, I think you're asking about my background. Is, is that where you want me to start? Yes, business background, please. Sure, sure. My business background, think of this in, in three channels. Uh, so my background was IT professional. Uh, IT executive in, in banking and insurance uh, for a number of years. Uh, then I escaped that, as I say, and uh, I left uh, GM, GMAC, uh, president of a software firm, and I quickly learned that I went from having six EVPs as my customers to 120 across the, the country and very much enjoyed the business development aspects of that. And uh, had a couple of, uh, as I call them, gigs with uh, professionals, friends I had in the uh, community, especially in Florida, and did some other business development work. And uh, one of my, my partners that I had dealt with uh, when I was at GM, GMAC, uh, formed an organization called Executive Search Partners. I transitioned to them about 10 years ago. So you can say I'm a, an IT guy that's done business development and now do uh, executive search. Uh, one other aspect, if, if you may, uh, that I could add uh, was uh, my volunteer work. So I do a significant amount of volunteer work with Sim Charlotte, the Society for Information Management, headquartered here in the, uh, the Charlotte region. I was also a member of Sim Detroit uh, some years ago. Uh, the, uh, the focus of uh, Sim Charlotte uh, certainly is a heavy emphasis on STEM initiatives in the region. So to make contributions there, I've um, been the, uh, uh, the chair of the uh, sponsorship committee, recently raised about $90,000 for STEM, also the membership committee. Uh, and then finally, if that wasn't enough for you, uh, I did some work as uh, working with their members in transition, and I've been doing that for about four years. So it kind of all fits together. Uh, so having gone from, uh, you know, a staff executive to uh, uh, a business executive and as a president to business development executive and, and now trying to give back to the community and, and as a senior partner with uh, executive search partners. Congrats, John. And thank you for your service to the community. Could you elaborate you. on what STEM means? For those who may not understand what that, that acronym stands for, please? Sure. It, it stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Um, and some people actually change it to STEAM, adding A in there for the arts. Uh, but whole, the whole idea here is to get some uh, diversity in the community, especially uh, with um, uh, women uh, in leadership positions. And so STEM in a sense, is trying to start uh, further down the line, uh, working with those that are uh, perhaps in high school, uh, maybe uh, college, maybe interns and so forth. And uh, so STEM 
scholarships, for example, and initiatives, uh, we work with uh, some 25 uh, nonprofits around uh, the Charlotte region, and we provide uh, then gifts to those organizations uh, for scholarships uh, ranging up to the thousands of dollars. And this is something we've done for 10 years uh, with Sim Charlotte, uh, the national group, Sim National, who's been around for, I don't know, I believe 30 years, uh, has been one of their cornerstones um, uh, for their industry. So encouraging those uh, women, uh, girls coming up uh, to take more of an interest in science, technology, engineering, or math, perhaps where uh, they may not have considered that uh, as they were uh, going through their uh, education. Great, great. And again, thank you once again for that. And if I may, to pivot a bit, you talked about your transition as, give me some rope here, more of a, a technical leader to a, a business leader. I'm of the opinion that when we have folks who have that STEM background, it also helps to have soft skills. Could you elaborate on your evolution, if you will, of acquiring or sharpening those soft skills to help you out as a, as a leader, executive, in the, your different experiences over your professional career? Yeah, let me uh, see if I can encapsulate that into a couple of buckets. So as a, as a IT executive, uh, especially as I get into more senior roles, um, one, of the, one of the challenges you have is what I call the fun stuff, is doing uh, development work, uh, creating new systems, get a lot of satisfaction out of delivering. That doesn't happen un unless there's business support. There's what I call the four-letter word called funding uh, for those initiatives. Uh, and in order to get those uh, funds uh, throughout my career at, in a couple banking organizations and uh, later uh, with an insurance um, organization, uh, going in front of those who have the funds called the business and trying to identify what the, what the opportunity is for improving their business, uh, whether it's uh, greater efficiency uh, or greater sales or a new acquisition and trying to make sure you understood as best you could as an IT professional what that business opportunity is and how you can enable it. So long story short, you, you have to work to understand that. It's not something you're gonna say, here's the technology solutions. It's what is the business need, the business requirement, the business opportunity, even trying to forecast where it's gonna go as far as it grows uh, in working to to get that funding in place. Cool. So in that context, did you find yourself observing maybe business processes that were not optimized or cost effective, pitching yeah. a business case, or, or did the business come to you? Was it a collaboration? Yeah, that's, that's a very insightful uh, question, and here's why. So when I started my career, remember they used to have a position called systems analyst? Yes. And, and maybe they're, they're business process analysts or some other title now that they have. 
so one of the things I've learned early on is to try and under, understand what that underlying process is and how things go from one part of the organization to another to, so you can have that macro background as to how this uh, all fits together. Um, so that's, that was kind of my learning. And I urge others to take a look at the flow of their business whether it's in manufacturing or in retail or in healthcare, trying to track it from the, the customer into the organization and then back out to the customer if that's needed. So I, I think those pictures were very helpful in my mind for putting it together. I became known uh, in my career of, I can't talk unless I have a whiteboard. I, I, I love the whiteboard idea of either mapping out a system or a process to try and understand how things fit together and what the critical pieces parts were. And I found that even with uh, the business side of the house, they really enjoyed getting on the whiteboard with me and contributing to the map, the business process map, or the data relationships, or the timing, or whatever the heck it was. And so that was one of the one of the techniques I used early on, and, and it really helped me to ingrain myself as to uh, uh, what, what the business needs were uh, based upon that. The other comment I would make is, is I found out that, you know, a lot of those processes start looking pretty similar uh, as you draw them on the board and start putting the pieces parts together and the flow and the timing and where the data was stored and so on. So those were some of my early uh, learnings uh, to help me be more effective um, at, uh, at pursuing that funding, I think is what we're talking about. Yes, yes, thank you. With that said, uh, as of late, I think we hear a lot about FinTech, insurance tech, and that term or vernacular there's always been specific technologies that seem to cater to certain industries or verticals. Mm -hmm. What have you seen really as the value add of these latest fads? Would it be the, the commonality of APIs and, and microservices and a lot of the breaking down uh, of monolithic applications into more workable components, flexibility, right? Decoupling and flexibility that we see beyond sure. the specific verticals of financial services and or insurance. But sure, can you sure. elaborate a little bit on maybe your experience with uh, ERP systems, enterprise resource planning systems and implement, implementing some of those over your career, I, I, I'm assuming, so keep me honest. That uh, and those were large projects and and uh, somewhat risky. Can can you give us a story about an ERP implementation or two? Sure. Um, a, a couple of thoughts on that come to mind. One of the things um, uh, that I label as an ERP uh, is in the insurance industry. So. Um, the the whole idea of the fact that uh, you have multiple parts to insurance that have to be uh, kept in mind certainly the policy the billing 
and um, the collections on the back end, the claims activity that takes place. So think of those as an ERP for insurance. And oddly enough, maybe not oddly, but um, each of those parts uh, has uh, built up over time. And there's only a few organizations that can really bring all three of those elements together in a quality solution. And this is uh, a, a multi-year initiative trying to put those three into place. And you think of it and you go, well, it's, it's just policies. And then there's pricing that takes place. Insurance is a very rich uh, information industry. It takes significant amount of information in the back end to determine uh, what type of policy they're gonna get John and Karen Murdoch for whatever it happens to be. Uh, my automobile, my home, my life. Uh, and those things have matured over time. Um, yet the other aspect is something that you probably see more of and that's the billing piece. And if the billing ain't right, you're probably more annoyed than anything else trying to say, why can't those dummies get it together? Uh, and the other aspect is now you file a claim and here you go again, you gotta file you know, pages of information in order to process your claim. So those three pieces parts are a very large ERP for insurance and requires a significant amount of detail to make them happen. So what's happened over time is those components uh, have tried to simplify how those businesses react in an insurance tech uh, organization. The speed to market, the speed to providing you a, a quote, for example, on the front end. Um, in the past, I can recall having to sit down with somebody and map things out, uh, fill out lots of information. Now you can go online and do a lot of those things. What's aided that? Certainly the maturity, the backend data, understanding what that data requirement is. But I think uh, more appropriately, the cloud has allowed a lot of these applications to reside elsewhere uh, and to, uh, as you say, build components for that. So things become uh, a little bit uh, easier from a customer perspective, uh, particularly uh, an SOA environment uh, where it's architected and those components come together, but they don't come together in a uh, in in a back room environment. They come together on an internet web-based environment that exists somewhere in the cloud, hopefully securely, uh, that can be uh, that can be taken advantage of. So that that's the that's a kind of a a quick, although it didn't sound quick. Uh, experience that I've had in, in trying to put in ERP systems for insurance. And one other just key background in insurance, you have multiple lines for their products. And I would find that when I would go into an organization and try to put in what would be perceived as a simple billing solution in finding that in the back room, they had a separate billing solution for each product line. And so that integration activity of all those components and tying it back to your SAP or 
maybe your Oracle financial system that you had in the back room uh, required uh, significant heavy listing. So I trust I answered your question there. You did, thank you. And so as we talk about SOA, service-oriented architectures and the different product lines, and in essence, the insurance ecosystem, moving forward uh, post-pandemic, uh, new age, so to speak, prophecies. Do you see the frontline agents and the back-end insurance companies becoming more, in my opinion, separate? Where in essence, for, keep me honest, brokers, agents, insurance agents, and brokers, they may have different product lines or different insurance companies for a couple of product lines within their portfolio. Do you yeah. see that changing or status quo down the road post pandemic? Well, yeah, uh, let me see if I can work my way to answer that question. So the, the claims area, for example, um, again, a, a, a paper driven process Early on in the pandemic, there was some real challenges because some of those people actually had to come into the office to, to deal with that, that paperwork that was there. So there were probably some lessons learned that some companies had to do with respect to modifying that, that claims process so it would become, uh, I'll use the term, more virtual so that you didn't have to have everybody come to a central point and work with, you know, stuff they've been working with probably since the '60s or whatever, uh, with printing out things and compiling them and so forth. I think the same lesson that the mortgage industry has learned is where the insurance industry is going. Let me give you an example. Uh, recently, we did a refinance. Maybe you've done it. The rates are so doggone low, you take advantage of it. Um, you know, I had somebody I was dealing with in Jacksonville, Florida. I had uh, another person I was dealing with in Nashville, Tennessee, and ultimately somebody that was in, gosh, I think they were in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I simply went online, filled out a variety of information, providing them why I was qualified for the type of loan I, I was seeking, the refinance I was seeking, and it all came together uh, quite seamlessly. All the parts were there. I was able to go online and they would say, oh, here's another form that you have to fill out. Okay, you have to do, okay. You, you'd go through that process very quickly. And ultimately it led to uh, somebody who did the closing and brought in that set of documents, actually had it on their laptop. I was able to sign and my wife and I in one or two places, all that information was incorporated into the document. And very shortly thereafter, we refinanced our, our mortgage loan. So that that's a, I can remember not too long ago, dealing again with the piles of paper that I would have to fill out. Maybe you've been that way that industry has accelerated into dispersing, almost federating that model. So everybody who's got a different piece of that business uh, can do it uh, securely. Maybe the, the great recession uh, that we had 
2010, taught that industry that they have to put in uh, systems uh, to uh, make it faster, more effective for their business. Likely, the same lessons are being learned uh, in the insure tech uh, area. And I think those refinements will, will show up uh, very shortly. Great, great, yes. So I think we were touching upon how with claims adjusters, the virtualization, as well as with mortgage brokers, yes. where the ability to leverage the cloud or technology and workflows, automated workflows, yes. has streamlined these processes and automated them as well. And uh, I, uh, in closing here, I think we're going to see AI or artificial intelligence and a lot of these latest acronyms, or some may even say FADs, to refine that even further. So yeah. could you touch upon as we close here what, what you, Pre yeah. Predictive analytics, as you're mentioning here, the, the collection of data and trying to forecast, um, you know, in insurance, you have to forecast uh, what you're going to, what you're going to earn, if you will, from providing somebody this policy. There's claims activity, and they have to take a look at you and me. I think it's most obvious in auto insurance, as you see that. Mm -hmm. But all the lines of insurance now are doing predictive analytics and quite deep uh, to identify is is this profitable for them to take on the Murdoch's property casualty for, for the home? Uh, what has been the experience there in the region I'm in? Uh, how many tornadoes? Uh, how many hurricanes? Uh, is he in a floodplain or not? All of a sudden you start getting this big, this big uh, pyramid of data that you have to put together so you can come back to a point and say, yeah, okay. I can price it at this point for the Murdochs because of where they live and their situation and maybe even their propensity to pay. Uh, so all of a sudden you're, you're, you know, we're using the word AI, but I, I try to go down to uh, maybe to a level called predictive analytics to try to identify sure. uh, what has the history been and, and trying to forecast uh, uh, an end result uh, for an organization. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 I believe it's evolving or, or helping to evolve actuarial science, right? Oh, goodness gracious, yes. Talk about deep data mines, yes, indeed, yeah. Um, when I was at GMAC, we had six uh, actuaries uh, for a $4.5 billion business. Uh, ultimately, I think it grew to eight. So you can see there was people that were studying very deeply. And just a just a plug, I, I think the insurance side of that business uh, was one of the most profitable pieces of uh, GMAC at that time. Okay, nice. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for coming on, John. Do you have any last statements you want to make before we wrap up? Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, this, this pandemic um, looks like we're going to be on another spike here uh, coming up. You know, everybody stay safe on this. Uh, I do work with executive search. Um, I'm finding that there are still lots of opportunity as organizations are learning to work with this. And there's several sectors that are still seeking individuals. Uh, so if you're in transition, uh, 
I, I do have some opportunities I know of. I know those that are in transition as well. I can help you build your network on, on both sides of, of that transaction. Um, we're forecasting that uh, in the first part of the uh, 2021, uh, the wave we've seen that started around Labor Day with new opportunities is going to continue to grow, basically because we're learning to we're we're learning to work with this and we're learning to work remotely. Uh, but other organizations uh, uh, have worked through those issues, and I think the capex is going to follow here as as they look for investments for the future. If the stock market's any indication, uh, there's there's going to be some tremendous uh, uh, economy next year as, as we go forward into 2021. So stay the course, be strong, stay safe. Great. Thanks, John. And this is Steve Markey with Buzz and Biz, the success podcast. Thank you for joining. Till next time. Take care. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, John.